Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Colleen Edwards-Chesley, and I am the founding director of Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast, and you are listening to our Women in Leadership show that is sponsored by Pensacola Business Radio X. I have a phenomenal guest today, a guest that doesn't share the same qualities and traits as all the other guests that we've had today. So this is a special treat for us. But before I get to introduce I'm excited. Guest, Who's here? Oh, no. Who's here? The, the surprise has now been spoiled. <laughs> um, just to talk a little bit about Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast, we are an organic organization born right here in Pensacola, Florida. We are not affiliated with any national organization or other regional organization. We stand by ourselves, and we do as much as we can to promote, advance, and improve women in business. And we do that in a number of different ways. We just finished our conference. We had a conference in October called Pursue Your Passion. So we are tallying up the the final numbers, and we're excited to be able to present a check to the Gulf Coast Kids House in January because we donate 80% of our profits from our conference season to Gulf Coast Kids House. And on that same note, we have also been selling tickets for a door prize drawing or a sponsor, we're calling it the sponsor prize pack drawing, that we are actually going to be drawing for today. So if you hadn't bought your tickets yet, it's too late by the time you hear this broadcast to get your tickets. But I do want to mention the sponsors that helped us put this prize pack together. So locally, we had um, a number of, of businesses donate gift certificates so that we could bundle them all together. And the winner of this drawing actually receives all 10 of these gift certificates. So I want to say a big thank you to City Spree of Pensacola, Sugar Shack Pensacola, 10th Avenue Hair Designs, Tranquil Moments Massage, Dance Craft, Weber and Weekly, Elite Services Quality Clean, Hill Kelly Dodge, High Point Hotels, and Florence Dosnay. And just a big thank you to all of them. Our prize pack was valued at almost $1,500, and we're excited to be drawing our winner today. I know I went in last night and bought a few more tickets because you just never can have too many opportunities to to win something like this. And I'm excited that we're drawing it in mid-December because whoever the winner is, hopefully they'll be able to either use the gifts themselves during this holiday season or possibly pay them forward to somebody else that may need some help during this season or even use them as as Christmas gifts if they haven't checked off everything off their list. So thank you to our sponsors for that. And the money that we collected from that drawing is also going, 80% of it is going to Gulf Coast Kids House. So out of the $25 ticket prices, $20 of that goes directly to Gulf Coast Kids House. And our goal this year with the, the Kids House was to replace all the chairs in their conference room. If you've ever been in their conference room, they have a great um, building and they have great amenities, but their chairs are over 10 years old. So we're hoping to be able to replace those chairs to make it much more comfortable, which will bring in more groups, more opportunities for them to host events in that room, which helps them out because getting the word out about what the Kids House does is one of their one of their main obstacles that they deal with. So big thank you for that. The other thing that we do is we have monthly networking meetings. You can always find out what our meetings are on our Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast Facebook page, or you can go directly to our website called PowerfulWomenGulfCoast.com. And then a third thing that we do is we produce a print magazine. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in the magazine because in the magazine, we interview successful women in the area. And we really talk about what makes them different than 
or, or what's helped them through their journey towards success. So we're going to be talking about some of that information today. And then the last thing, the newest thing that we've added to our agenda is a 12-week educational series we call Power Up. And that is a one-hour class every week, or actually it, it works out to an hour and a half class every week where we work on sales skills, marketing skills, networking, business efficiency. And it's just a safe environment for women and men to attend the classes and learn more about building businesses. So any of any of you that are in the area that want to attend, we will be starting classes in January. And we're excited because this will be our third challenge period. We have uh, had two challenge periods last year and we graduated 11 uh, attendees from the first challenge period. And then we graduated four from this last challenge period. So we're hoping to graduate a lot more through the program as that continues to grow. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today. You already heard his voice, so you can tell the difference with him is that he is a male. Everybody we've interviewed for this particular Business Radio X series, Women in Leadership, has always been females. So I am super excited. Our guest today is Quint Studer. Quint has been amazing in the Pensacola area, in addition to what he's building now in Janesville, um, which is equally exciting. But he has done so much for the Pensacola community um, came here after a 30-year career in healthcare? Um, let me see. I think probably more about 23 years than I came this way. 23 years. And then built, continued to build the healthcare practice that he was doing, ended up uh, building a phenomenal organization, Studer Group, and sold that to Huron Corporation. So he has now stepped a, away from that for the most part. I think you're still involved slightly. No, pretty much. I did my last. I, there was a few contractual arrangements, but I think about a month ago, I spoke at University of Alabama, Birmingham. I'm like Cher. I've done about five last <laughs> talks now. All right. They just can't let you go, can they? <laughs> well, I think they can let me go. But um, sometimes a few clients um, will say, hey, Quint was in our contract and we really want him. So I, there is certain contracts Studer Group had had Quint Studer in it, and we just wanted to fulfill those contractual obligations. Absolutely. Absolutely. But has done some amazing things in the healthcare industry and then realized he took everything that he has built in the healthcare industry and and moved it into leadership in general. So became an owner in the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That's been very exciting to bring a double-A baseball team to Pensacola and bring it downtown to where we've now had a revitalization of the entire downtown area takes, I would imagine you take part in a lot of what goes on at the bodacious shops, supporting um, your wife. Well, I sort of get fired there on a routine basis because <laughs> I try to get involved and Rishi, you know, I, I get involved just enough. I don't know if other women have this issue with the males in their life. I want to like um, hop in and mm -hmm. think I'm solving something. Then I create more problems than oh. they ask. They ask me to exit for a uh -huh. while. So um, I'm in the, I'm, I think I've been terminated for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. But yeah, built a, a great downtown and, and that entire block of now it's called the Sogo District um, has been built up not only with your influence, but also bringing in a lot of other business owners that yeah. have the same passion and the same um, um, intensity for building our community. I think research shows that what takes um, in the book, Jim Clifton, the chairman of Gallup, wrote a book called The Coming Jobs War. And he basically said it all comes down to creating jobs. Mm -hmm. And and um, one of the things he says you need, the first is you need, and he calls it some nice name. It's somebody who's willing to invest without a big return on investment. Um, and then the second phase is entrepreneurs. 
and we've been very fortunate now. We have 14 um, businesses that have sprung up around us. Most of them, actually, we know very well because they lease space from us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and many of them, I think over 50% of them are actually owned by women, maybe even more. Um, that's awesome. So I that's, didn't know that. Yeah. So that's, um, sort of works with that. And, um, and then the next thing they say, which help, which you do a lot of with your organization is besides the entrepreneur, the third thing you need, sort of a three legged stool, is you need mentorship. Mm-hmm. And because starting a company is hard, but not near as hard as making it successful. 80% of all new businesses don't make it in elite. They close within the first year. And then, you know, I used to always thought, well, after the first year, you can sort of take a breath. Well, then research shows that 80% of the 20, the ones that will make it to 20% will close within five years. So that all of a sudden means that, that really you're probably talking out of 100 new companies, only less than 10 will actually survive five years. So it's a rough deal. And I think, um, you know, Studer Community Institute, we do roundtables, we do programs. Mm-hmm. I got one coming up January 10th because, you know, many of these small businesses, they can't travel. They don't have the money to get this training. So like you, anything you can do to access training locally. Right. Now, the, the challenge is, which you'll find, so many people say, well, I, I just don't have time to get the training because I got to run my business. Right. Well, the challenge is, and they never really get their business to run better. Mm-hmm. So they, they mm-hmm. sort of go into more of a, I call a slow death spiral. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to do. That's what you try to do. That's why we've always supported your work because mm-hmm. we just believe that skill building is a, a crucial aspect of being successful. Absolutely. We were talking before the show about some of the books that, that you recommended, and, and there were a few that were on my recommended list as well. And one of them is Stephen Covey's Habits of, of Highly Successful People. In one of the chapters, he talks exactly what you're talking about, about sharpening the saw. You know, yeah. it's about it's about that lumberjack that goes into the forest, and if he just keeps chopping down trees, eventually his saw becomes so dull that his effort doesn't really produce the results that it then if he would just stop for a minute, sharpen that saw and then go back to clearing the forest. And that's exactly what you're talking about, about taking some time out of your business to work on the business instead of work in the business. Well, and I also think the other thing is um, you're going to learn a little bit differently because you got different experience. Um, I was talking to Julie Shepard at IHMC and, you know, she spent a lot of time in the university system mm-hmm. and she always felt university professors would really, instead of taking a sabbatical to study their topic more, mm-hmm. take that sabbatical and go work in, in the field because mm-hmm. you come back differently. And I, I wrote something this week that, um, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. You know, we just at Studer Family of Companies, we call it, which includes Studer Properties, all the shops, the Wahoos and the Studer Community Institute. We just finished our employee engagement survey. Mm -hmm. Outside company measures our employee engagement. And um, it's a diagnostic tool. But, you know, when when we looked, we found out that our full-time employees were much more satisfied. They're like really satisfied, like probably top 1% in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Our part-time employees were above average. They were the 72nd. Well, that's not good enough for what we try to do. Mm -hmm. So what we've learned is, we truly have to have a completely different strategy and tactics for our part-time employees versus our full-time employees. Mm-hmm. And our full-time employees, they, they want to know the direction of the company. Mm-hmm. They want to 
um, know what the goals are. Mm -hmm. They're very concerned about their own development, their own skill building, because they're Mm -hmm. trying to have a career Mm -hmm. as much as possible in this company. Well, you look at our part-time employees, some of them really want to work part, they want to work part-time. So they want to work two days a week, maybe that fits in with their family. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of younger people that Mm -hmm. are going to college. You know, one of our people in the coffee shop, her goal is not to be a barista the rest of her life. Right. It's to go be a fifth grade teacher. Sure. Well, they're not near as gung-ho on the direction, the um, career development, Mm -hmm. um, what are the goals. So we really have started to look at, okay, now, so if we've got part-time workers that aren't, they're not worried about opportunity for advancement, Mm -hmm. all those buttons that they tell you are important for full-time. Sure. What do they want? Right. And so we're really digging deep. We just met with all the employees and, you know, what do they want? And one of the things they know they want is they want to sort of come in and enjoy the day. So mm-hmm. our whole goal is to make work fun right make now. Fun. Yeah, make it Absolutely. fun. Make it enjoyable. Last week, I think you might have uh, listened to the broadcast, but we interviewed Donna Kirby. Yeah, she's Your brilliant. Vice- Absolutely. She's phenomenal. So so down to earth. But you're vice president of operations now. Well, and that's a neat story because, you know, when we found Donna Kirby or she found us, you know, it was our first year pretty much. And we were hiring. Mm-hmm. And the other mistake many companies make, in, including us, is you sort of are desperate. Mm-hmm. Something's opening. You have no one. Mm-hmm. And you have that urge. I got to get someone. Sure. We found with Bubba Sweet Spot the same thing. We waited and waited and waited for the right candidate. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks before we opened, luckily we found Eric, mm-hmm. who's great. But with Donna, um, you know, she originally came and worked in our gift shop. So, really? she, yeah, she started out in our gift shop and then she did a really nice job there. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of put her over our ushers, mm-hmm. you know, which would be our every our mainly our ushers. Mm-hmm. And she did a great job there. And mm-hmm. so this last year, we basically promoted her to prop. There's two jobs at the at the baseball. You got to have A players. In. You know, we're mm-hmm. not. You can't have a straight A company. They'd all beat on each other. Right, right. So, um, but we need an A in sales, and we need an A in operations. Mm-hmm. And so now we've restructured. Donna's got, you know, oper um, field reporting to her, the ground crew people. She's got the facility people reporting to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's got um, all the ushers reporting to her. Mm-hmm. So she's got uh, the majority of game day operations reporting to Donna. And that was a, you know, growing from within, you know, Denise Richardson, who just left, she's in El Paso now, head of the, she uh, was a uh, worker in our gift shop. Now, when Donna got promoted, Denise became the head of our gift shop. And this last year, she um, this just recently now she's going to El Paso to be head of um, their gift shop, and they're a triple A team that's actually done extremely well. And the last two people that are in her position are now running merchandise at the major league level. Wow! So uh, also, I think that gives Donna and others a that whole promoting from within and building your mm-hmm. skill set, and Donna is constantly looking at building her skill set. Absolutely. And she always strikes me. I mentioned she was really down to earth. She's she's somebody that's very personable, very open. And we talked a lot in, in the in the broadcast last week about how approachable she is. So when you're talking about serving your employees and asking them, you know, how, how engaged they are in their work, um, that's great to have a survey, but to also have somebody in management that that is that 
open door policy and that's somebody that's very approachable, I'm sure that gives you a lot of great feedback on how to help the employees well, that's as well. Usually what your survey tells you, you, you know, people think they're approachable and, you know, I think that I keep people informed yet. Um, ironically, when I looked at my results, one of the big things I need to do better is keep people informed. Wow. Now, it doesn't matter that I think I'm keeping you informed mm -hmm. if the people I'm keeping informed don't think they're informed. Right. So we had our rollout yesterday. So when you look at survey data, um, when I was president of Baptist Hospital, every week I met with a group of 10 to 15 employees and I'd ask them, who works for a supervisor you enjoy working with? And at first, there were very few hands that went up. But luckily, as the training kept in, there were more and more and more. But I'd ask them, why do you feel your supervisor does a good job? Mm -hmm. and, and this never varied. Number one was approachable. Mm. Number one was I can go to my boss. I can talk to him about things. They're approachable. Um, number two was um, they will never ask me to do anything that they won't do themselves. Mm. So, for mm -hmm. example, today, tonight, um, um, Will Hengold is having his company party at the So Gourmet upstairs. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Rishi today, mm -hmm. who owns the shops. And mm -hmm. um, I asked her what she's doing. And she said, well, they're having a big party there. So she's going to help set up the room. Mm -hmm. And see, that old employees notice that. Absolutely. And then the, the third thing is um, they won't ask you to do anything that they wouldn't do themselves. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to do it all the time. Right. But right. when they're in a pinch, you need to weigh in. So, you know, that nurse manager will be a staff nurse when they need to be. That head of baristas makes coffee just like everyone else. Right, you exactly. Know. So, yeah, I think approachability and, you know, Donna's magic with these ushers, the fact that retention of employees is important because it creates consistency. Mm -hmm. In baseball, it's unheard of because, you know, normally it's a seasonal job and you can have all new staff. When we tell minor league baseball people that our um, 94% of our ushers come back every year, mm -hmm. they're, they're stunned. Yeah. And usually the only time we've lost an usher the last two years is actually they died. Wow. You know, they were older and they, wow. they got sick. Otherwise, yeah. you know, I mean, we keep our ushers. In fact, we're actually looking at this year getting usher cards like baseball cards because oh, our, cool. our fans get so committed right. to who takes care of them. That's really awesome. So you've actually had success in a number of different areas. I've already talked about the healthcare success, you know, supporting Rishi and, and the success that she's had with Bodacious. But how do you personally, how do you define what, what is your definition of success? When, you know, I ask a lot of different people and everybody has a, a little different of an answer. And I think it is very personal. So what do you think about when you think of are you, success? Yeah. Are you comfortable in your own skin? That sounds crazy, but that's what we're all searching for. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you we, I remember um, year, years ago, the Beatles had a song called Richard Corey. And I don't know why I liked it. It's sort of maybe sad that I did, but it's about, you know, it's, um you know, I work in the factory. I curse the life I'm living. I curse the life I lead. Oh, I wish I could be. I wish I could be like Richard Corey, who was the owner of the factory. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden near the end, it says, um, you know, I opened up the newspaper, I read Richard Corey had put a bullet in his head. Oh, wow. And that's a deal that here's this guy who you would think was successful, but sure. he in his own skin 
and it's an inside job. I'm, it's going to sound like I'm a Buddhist right now, but it's, um, <laughs> it's an inside job. So I think success is being comfortable in your own skin. doesn't mean you always win. Um, we all make mistakes. Yesterday I was doing a, you know, a lot of apologizing. Mm-hmm. And um, so are you comfortable and do you bounce back? So, you know, it's sort of like having children, you know, and you, it's hard to convince a child all you want is their happiness because we get too hung up on what are your grades or mm-hmm. did you make the A team and mm-hmm. sort of cringe at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you all really want as a parent for our child is just so they're happy. Absolutely. And so I th- I think success is just being comfortable in your own skin. Being being aware of what that comfortable level is, because I think a lot of people might struggle with that as well. Not knowing, you know, what they're supposed what what they are supposed to be doing. I think self-awareness is crucial. Um, there, Harry Gruner is a managing partner of a large private equity growth company out of Baltimore called JMI. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a pretty good company. If you mention them in the private equity world, people would say, ah, and they have a really good reputation. Mm-hmm. I was in Washington, D.C. about a month ago, and um, I've been doing, you know, because of some of the, the situations I've been in, private equity firms sort of like me. And they um, mm-hmm. will ask me to coach some of their CEOs when they buy a company. And I've haven't, I'm doing that with one private equity firm. I haven't done it with Harry yet because we want it. But he wanted to find the right company. But I was in Baltimore and we met. And I asked him, I said, when, when you buy, invest in a company, and their investment is not small. Mm-hmm. You know, their investment can be $100 million sure. plus. Mm-hmm. And they're betting on an entrepreneur Mm-hmm. They have to at least be ten million in revenue, or they won't look at you. People mm-hmm. read in the paper some wild story. Right. Some company lost money and sold right. for a zillion dollars. Well, that's why it's in the paper. It's so unusual. Right. Exactly. Okay. Smart investors don't typically. They do don't that. do that. No. So, so anyway, I asked him. I said, "When you go to invest in a company, what do you look for?" You know, and I he could have said product. He could have said niche. He could have mm-hmm. said marketing ability. But they're really betting on the entrepreneur. Wow. And he says they basically look for two things. How self-aware is the person? That's mm-hmm. and then how teachable is the person? Mm-hmm. So I think self-awareness is the hardest thing for an executive to get or an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. Cuz you're the expert mm-hmm. and you don't you don't think you're intimidating. Mm-hmm. But you are. Mm-hmm. Um you don't think that, you know, you understand when you say to somebody and say, "Hey, can you do this better?" that you're just saying, can you do this better? Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the corner devastated. They, right. They've let you down. Right. Um, so I'm a big believer in trying to get objective data because in a workplace, you might not hear it. Mm-hmm. And and I will say to you that when people come to me, um, I look, you know, are you willing to take a hard look at yourself? In my book, Straight A Leadership, right in the beginning, I mm-hmm. say, if you're the top executive You've got to be hard on yourself because mm-hmm. people around you won't be. Right. I mean, I, I've seen top executives. I tell them they could get up and throw up on the stage and somebody around them will say, you know, great job. Good job. Good yeah. thrust. Yeah. Good thrust. Um, mm-hmm. You know, cause, and, you know, I, I've seen it. Executives mm-hmm. sit, ask their direct reports. How did I do? How did I like that? And they're all afraid to say it wasn't good or, mm-hmm. you know, I was working for an organization one time and. You know, they wanted to convince themselves not to have a big holiday party because I don't think the executives wanted to go to it. So they said, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think people like it as much and there's a lot going on. And why don't we take that money we spent on the holiday party 
and donate it to a not-for-profit, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, that's because they go to a lot of holiday parties. Sure. But their exactly. employees don't. So mm -hmm. I spoke up and said, you know, we, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's like, if you look around a lot of executive suites, unfortunately, there's a lot of bobbleheads. Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to ask you that. Is that the same book? I haven't read Straight A Leadership, but I've read several other ones. Mm -hmm. Is that the same book at very early in you say fire everybody? No, I'm no. No? No. Okay. Uh -uh. Straight A Leadership is basically a, a diagnostic tool I created for executives to evaluate their organization. Okay. So the the managers fill out a survey, quick survey. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what some of it's open ended. What do you do well? Mm -hmm. What can what can we do better as an organization? Mm -hmm. Then it says, um, on a one through ten, how a lot you know, how good is our evaluation tool? Mm -hmm. On a one through ten, rate the training you're getting so you can be successful in the job. Mm -hmm. On a one through ten, evaluate consistency of top leadership. Mm -hmm. on a one through 10, how easy is it to implement best practices in this organization? So it's about eight or nine questions. And it's an eye-opener because executives yeah. think everyone's aligned and even their own team will give them, you know, on a one through 10, their own executive team will say uh, some three, some five. So I'm, I'm always trying to create tools to give feedback. Yeah. And, you know, we mm -hmm. we survey 3,000 Wahoo fans every night. Mm -hmm. Donna um, and I talked a lot about surveys yeah, in the so, broadcast last time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we do every 90 days. This year, we're going to do what we call pulse survey. There's maybe six or seven questions we want to work on. Like one of the things that the feedback we got from our part-time employees is we weren't rewarding and recognizing them for good performance as much as they'd like. And I think once again, if you're only there two days, you got to capture it. Mm -hmm. And maybe um, I hear it on a Wednesday, but you don't come back in till Saturday. Right. And I forget. Mm -hmm. So we have to create tools consistently. When I go into the shops, I say to the customers, you know, how's our service? Is there anyone I should recognize? So I'm just a big believer. You've, you've got to be talking to your employees and talking to your customers and you have to create anonymous tools. People mm -hmm. might not like that, mm -hmm. but I I think you eventually get to the point where people don't feel they have to be anonymous. Right. But early on in your culture, till you get to that point, mm -hmm. you've got to allow people to give anonymous feedback. Yeah. I think social media has actually opened up some of that area because people are very vocal on social media and that's not anonymous. Uh, but it's surprising that there's that layer where they don't have to say it, I think, physically to anybody's face. And so they're a little bit more willing to express that information. Do you find that the same way as well? I don't think when it comes to bosses, they feel that way. I think there's still a tremendous fear and sure. the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, I wrote um, I wrote one of my articles in the Pensacola News Journal mm -hmm. about, you know, how to have difficult conversations if the boss is the problem. Yep. It's a know, great had, article. And I had one of the local mm -hmm. bloggers, who's not a big fan of mine, um, get on <laughs> and say, how ridiculous, how stupid. Anybody that would do that um, would get fired. And this just shows that Quint Studer knows nothing about leadership. You know, wow. he's, he says, I know nothing about anything on right. a regular <laughs> basis. But, um, but and I wrote in the next article, next column, I sort of tweaked them a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you feel that way, maybe you've created that type of culture in your own organization because mm -hmm. people see things in them and others in themselves. Absolutely. And and two, I disagreed. I, I think if you do it right, mm -hmm. 
you know, most, most if you do it right, um, most people do that. I actually teach people how to give me feedback mm-hmm. and I actually have them give it to me so they get used to it. So one of the ways I say is, first of all, you say, Quint, I will do that. If that's what you want done, I will do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. However, I'd like to maybe bring this up to you mm-hmm. or bring, give you some other information, but you have to. It's, you just don't want to say, I'm not going to do it. Sure. So it's ironically, once they say they'll do it, I relax. Right. That wall comes down. But then they give me why they're concerned about it or should I look at another way or should we delay it? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I got to, I got to open that up. So I'll actually not even, I'll actually went around the room the other day at people that directly reported me and they practiced confronting me. Really? <laughs> yeah. They practiced it because you know, they, they tell me they don't want to let me down. So sure. we had that whole conversation. So mm-hmm. I think what we call skill labs are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, that you just can't read it, just right. can't talk about it. Um, you've got to get people to, to show it. So sure. if we're talking about rounding, which is engaging, mm-hmm. we just don't say, okay, go up to your employees and do this. We say, now meet, take someone in the room, mm-hmm. walk them walk them through. So we, you're actually role-playing. Role-playing, but not only role, yeah, and making everyone role-play. So mm-hmm. it's not just they look at two people doing it, mm-hmm. but now I've got to do it. And right. then the group gives feedback. So when we were rolling out our employee engagement survey, I had all the managers come in. I actually took one of the other departments mm-hmm. and I was the manager and the suit, and they played the employees and I went through the survey. Then we went through exactly how the rollout should look. And then others sat around the room and sort of critiqued it. Mm. So one of the, I did some things well, Mm -hmm. but one of the things I didn't do well was allow nominal voting of the action. Mm Because I thought the actions were so obvious from the conversation. Sure. So in the feedback, they said, well, you didn't really do the nominal voting. Mm -hmm. So yesterday in my own rollout for real, Mm -hmm. we had three action steps on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And I think they're very obvious, but I said, hey, now we have to nominally vote. Right. So that's skill building. You know what your organization does? It's, you know, building leadership muscle because mm-hmm. most people don't, they got into a company because of their tech. A lot of it's, I'm good technically. Sure. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean, you know, it's such a different game. It is. You know, I think the reason we have so much automation and technology isn't because we want automation technology. Somebody's trying to figure out how do I pull this off without having people? Right. Save cost. Because <laughs> that's hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that reminds me, I was a member of Toastmasters for, I think, 10 years. And Toastmasters is all about practicing speaking in a comfortable environment. And it's kind of like, you know, it, exactly probably what your baseball teams do. They practice during practice. So then when they get to game time, they've perfected those skills. And they've and they've taken that information like you're talking about when you're doing the role playing, taking that feedback and then implementing it the next time when it's actually for real. Yeah. January 10th, the Student Community Institute, I'm doing a three hour session. I know. It looks phenomenal. I saw that. Yeah. And how to, on Facebook. Yeah. Catching heart and mind. Yep. And one of the things I'm teaching is storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was a teacher, we had a the head of our ag program in Wisconsin. FFA is big. Mm-hmm. Um, was Bernie Stoller. Mm-hmm. And on Friday nights, after a high school football game, some teacher would throw a party and you'd go to that house mm-hmm. and everyone would listen to Bernie Stoller's storyteller. 
And I was in awe. And I said, no way could I ever be as good as Bernie. Right. And I'm not saying I am today, but I became a good storyteller, just like they tell you by Stoats Masters, Mm -hmm. by doing it. I'm also going to teach presentation skills Mm because people call me up and they say, you know, how do I become a good presenter? Right. So first of all, you have to do it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and the Mm -hmm. challenge is, well, I'm not good at it. And that's why I don't, you know, Bubba and I were, Bubba Watson and I were talking the other day and, you know, I don't golf. Mm-hmm. The reason is it's so hard <laughs> and, uh, and it's just so hard and it's so long and you got to put so much into it yes. to be good yes. that I just am not good. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I, if I went with Bubba, I would, I would say, can we play best ball? Mm-hmm. So I can hit his balls sure. instead of my own because his will be best. But, yeah. um, and that's the hard part when you're a leader. Mm-hmm. It's it's it takes courage. Mm-hmm. It takes courage to go up to your employees and say, "Do you have what you need to do your job today? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, do you have the tools and equipment you need? Mm-hmm. Um, who should I recognize?" And right. and at first, the employees are uncomfortable. Right. I mean, they look at you like, "Huh?" Right. And and you, and you got to keep doing it. When I first started Baptist Hospital, I am. Um, would go up as president and go into patient rooms. Mm-hmm. And gee, at first the nurses were nervous wrecks, you know, because the assumption is I'm going to find something wrong. Mm-hmm. And on purpose, I always looked for what was right. Mm-hmm. And then I'd come out and say, you know, Colleen, I just want to tell you I was in this room. The patient, you were managing their pain well. Um, everything was written on the whiteboard. You had answered their questions. Now, there might be a little coaching, but most of it's pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Well, then it got to the point where it was hard to go up on the units because all the nurses said, well, here, go to these rooms, these rooms, these rooms. Right. Because they knew I was going to come out with positive. Sure. But it's really hard at first. Um, being a leader is a, a tough, tough job. It is. It is, definitely. You know, that reminds me, I was I was um, rereading a little bit of um, uh, a few of the good books um, that we were talking about earlier. And Good to Great is, is one of them that I think back on. And he talks in that in that book about his concept called the flywheel. Now, this is different than your Well, flywheel. I actually took my flywheel from him. Did you? Okay. Yeah, so his flywheel basically said in his research that companies turn like a flywheel. Yes. And, you know, I, I have people have given me flywheels now over the years. Yeah. You know, flywheel is very hard to start, like right. a train. But Well, he describes like two-foot wide metal, 5,000, you know, pounds, you right. know, huge, 20 feet in diameter, you know, large, large, immovable structure. Right. And they're hard to start. Right. And but once you get it going, mm-hmm. then it almost becomes self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody mm-hmm. wants, a company that's sustaining. Right. So his three measures of a flywheel are first, every organization he studied that was great was led by passionate people. Mm-hmm. And my definition of passion doesn't mean you're a good speaker, doesn't mean you're an extrovert, could be mm-hmm. an introvert. You could be shy, but you're relentless on achieving the outcome. Now, right. if you are, you will even adjust. So I've seen some people that were normally introverted mm-hmm. have become very good presenters because sure. they knew they had to be right. in order to carry the message. Mm-hmm. I've seen some people that were not structured become very structured because mm-hmm. you had to be structured because they were so passionate about achieving the outcome. Right. Next is he says you really need to know what you want to be good at. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's your scope? 
And when I work with companies, we either through Studer Community Institute, we have CEO roundtables and so on. Most of them are trying to do too many things. Like what my article said, I've never met a revenue stream too small for someone to chase. Right. Um, <laughs> they, they narrow the scope. And the third point is they know the economic indicator to be profitable. Because if you're not profitable, you can't continue to do what you're passionate about. Sure. So I took that and I created my own flywheel. And in the middle of it, I put purpose worthwhile work and making a difference. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you can turn a flywheel but go the wrong direction. Absolutely. Or do the wrong things or yep. maybe ethically not be there at first. Sure. Yeah. And then I did basically a lot of the same stuff. What are you passionate? You know, passions mm -hmm. in my first part of the flywheel, then mm -hmm. the core is purpose worthwhile work, making a difference. Second is, um, skill build, you know, what you're going to make standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. you're, what are you going to do mm -hmm. day in and day out every day? Right. And the third part I called res is results. Because mm -hmm. he also says in his book, because the big question is, well, how do people stay motivated? Mm -hmm. He says you get the results. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look at the Wahoos, they're very motivated every year to have the best fan experience in minor league baseball. Right. Because they've had it. Right. You know, we've had exactly. it every year. They don't want to. Yeah lose that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Eric at Bubba's Sweet Spot is very motivated to keep his employee engage, engagement up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I've learned a lot from um, Jim Collins. I've spoken on panel with him and um, off screen, I off panel, I asked him like, what's the most important skill set a leader has to have mm -hmm. or a company has? And he says selection. Wow. It's If you select your, it's and, you know, and unfortunately, and we've fallen to the same trap, we select some people that don't work out. Mm -hmm. And when we hired them, we really hired them thinking they would. Sure. So now we step back and say, what can we learn? Mm -hmm. And normally our mistake is we get so enamored with their technical or their mm -hmm. skill mm -hmm. that we think we can teach them culture. Right. We have now come to the conclusion after failures mm -hmm. that we better hire for culture yeah. and then go to the skill set. And the Get other it. book you mentioned early by mm -hmm. Covey, mm -hmm. the thing I learned from him was start with the end in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are, those are all great concepts. I could break down every one of those points and, and delve even deeper, but uh, I definitely learned that from you as far as hiring for passion. You know, because I think people do get caught up in that and they do hire that skill set. And, and, and it, it is very difficult to, to teach passion. Passion is one of those intangibles. It's, it's, I mean, you've done such a great job with, with building culture. Uh, but if you don't come with that internal passion first, it's, it's really difficult. It to gets hire. hard. Yeah. It gets hard. I was mm -hmm. at Washington high school this week speaking at the football banquet mm -hmm. for Charlie Ward. And, um, you know, I said, I always tell everyone, pick something you're passionate about because there's nothing that won't have roadblocks. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that won't have failure. Jerry right. Pate was there and he goes honored for all the work he's done on the turf. And, you know, he was the youngest U.S. amateur champion in golf. Then he was the youngest international amateur champion. Then he was the youngest U.S. Open champion ever. Wow. By the time he was 28, he had won like eight or nine tournaments. That's on the way to be a Hall of Fame golfer. Sure. Then he threw his shoulder out and was no longer able to golf. Mm. Now, what do you do? Well, he ended up starting one of the more successful turf companies mm -hmm. in the country mm -hmm. and hires, you know, as were a hundred employees working right here. And he got up and talked about, and you better be what you're passionate about because mm -hmm. you're going to hit a wall. You're going to fail. Absolutely. You're going to bounce. You're going to make a mistake. And if you're not mm -hmm. passionate, 
you, you won't get back up. You won't right. continue. And right. you know, I tell the story. I was sitting in my office years ago at 11 o'clock thinking, now why should I run the hospital I was in? By the way, I was a director, department director mm-hmm. at the time. Not only should I think I should be running this hospital, mm-hmm. I think I should be running healthcare for the United States of America. <laughs> At one o'clock, I was in front of the chairman of the board offering my resignation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because I had made a mistake that I felt terrible about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if you don't deflate your own ego mm-hmm. you're, and, and you're going to get it deflated for you. And trust me, that day deflated my ego and I still get your ego deflated. I mean... But that's part of being passionate and getting up and starting over. Absolutely. And I think from the outside, though, people look at people look at you. And I think if they read read your bio, you know, it looks like you've had just success after success after success. And and, or you've been that that, you know, there's other people that you can look at and they've been that, quote, overnight success. Um, But in reality, I don't think that's exactly how it happens. Anybody. Maybe you see a Facebook guy or one of these people. But, you know, um, a, a fellow I know named Alex Call had a band named Clover. And in the 1960s, Clover opened up for like Jefferson Starship and let, even Leonard Skinner traveled mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they'd get an album deal, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't, for 10, 11 years, they're bouncing everywhere, mm-hmm. always close to being successful. Mm-hmm. Now they had a guitar player, John McAfee, and they had a backup singer, harmonica player. And eventually, now, and these guys broke up because John McAfee went and became lead guitar player for a group called the Doobie Brothers. Mm-hmm. And this harmonica player, who was the backup singer, um, cut his own record. And so when he cut his own record, it became the number one album of the year, and he was everywhere. Now, you would look at this, and you would think, wow, was he an overnight success? Exactly. And he was like 36, 37 years mm-hmm. old, and his name was Huey Lewis. Mm-hmm. Okay, and... um so I, I think people really look at it. You know, mm-hmm. that's why actually we like going back to Janesville because mm-hmm. in Janesville, people know that we had nothing. Right. And they saw it right. where you, you come here a little bit and people act like you, you know, had this money or sure. inherited this money. Yeah. And so Wisconsin actually is very comfortable for us mm-hmm. because people, we don't get some of the um, attacks in Wisconsin mm-hmm. that we get here in um, Pensacola, yeah. Florida. Yeah. And I think that is so misleading. I, I do think the media contributes to that, be, that because they don't write the articles about you until you are that, official, you know, that, that you've had that instant success. But they don't write about the hours that you've put in, all the, the struggles that you've had. And, and not just you, but I think leaders in general. Yeah, they, they miss the fact that somebody was on the road. Like Bubba Watson's is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Jerry Pate's career was over at 28. A guy named Bubba Watson actually didn't get his PGA card to 28. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to Bubba, when Bubba graduated from college or finished his career at college, his parents gave him $900. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he had to go out like pro golf. There's levels mm-hmm. and there's a very much a level where you drive your car, you carry your clubs, right. you sleep in a cheap motel somewhere yeah. and you show up and you pay the entry fee. And you hope to gosh, you golf good enough so you can go somewhere the next week. Right. So he was on the lowest tier of, prof- of professional golf. Mm-hmm. And then he did that. Then he moved up another tier. And then he golfed on the nationwide golf tour at the time mm-hmm. for three years. And then if you score in the top 
so many, like 10, you get your PGA card. Mm. So Bubba didn't get his PGA card till he was like 28. So he wasn't a Jordan Speed. He wasn't right. a Tiger Woods. Right. He wasn't a Ricky Fowler. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think he works so hard mm -hmm. because he's not a glamour boy sure. in golf. Right. And, and I think people miss it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, for myself, for any small business pin, you know, and you, we've put our life savings into something. Mm -hmm. We've um, sometimes, you know, I have people that come to me to borrow money and they have this great idea. This mm -hmm. is marvelous. Um, you know, can't miss. So I said, okay, will you, if I loan you money, what assets are you going to pledge? Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean assets? Right. I said, well, you know, do you have a house? Mm -hmm. Do you have a car? Um, your intellectual capital? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well. Right. Then why would I put my money on yeah. the line for you? So, you know, yeah. they missed the fact that, you know, first year student group, Rishi and I were writing checks for payroll and, mm -hmm. You know, bodacious yeah. shops, we still write checks for payroll. Yeah. Um, we hope that the Wahoos or something else makes enough money to cover it because we've never, our whole goal is to build the community. So yeah, I have such great respect for small business people because mm -hmm. I know how hard they work. Yeah. And I, I, I always um, tell manager owners to share the financials with the employees. Mm -hmm. And one of them did that about a month ago. She said she had never done that. Well, employees see the owner mm -hmm. and they think, well, man, they're doing well. And they look sure. at what they don't understand. There's taxes, there's expense mm -hmm. and all these things. And um, so for the first time, she shared all the financials and her employees were stunned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's it. Right. That's exactly. it. Mm -hmm. You're not making all the extra money we thought you were making. And, and I mm -hmm. we've always I, you know, I shared financials when I was at hospitals, mm -hmm. e even at student group, privately owned. Mm -hmm. We shared our financials. Mm -hmm. um, we shared our financials today of every company we run because mm -hmm. um, we want people to know exactly how it's going because yeah. they, they're the ones that make it go. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. I, I slid an article in front of you that's an article about Kevin O'Leary wrote um, from the Shark Tank. He wrote about how women, in his mind, women make better entrepreneurs um, than men. And one of the points that he makes in that article is that women are willing to pay somebody more than they're willing to pay themselves. Right. As far as like a CEO in their business might not be the one that makes the most money. It might be one of their salespeople that make more money. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if it's a male, female issue. Mm -hmm. I think women have some intrinsic talents that make them good entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. One of them is normally they pick something they're extremely passionate about. Mm -hmm. I mean, extremely passionate about, mm -hmm. you know, I'm passionate about jewelry and they start out selling it at some flea market, they end up selling it to friends. So mm -hmm. I think women, I, I, I don't know where that comes from, chi ch raising children or having this, but they're normally extremely passionate about whatever thing they go into, not even thinking about the dollars. Right, right, exactly. The, if, if we all thought about the dollars, there might not be children when you look at it's true. how much things cost. It's true. I think the great strength they have is multitasking. Mm-hmm. Now, it can be their disadvantage, too. Sure. Because when you read the book E-Myth Revisited, which mm -hmm. I love, mm -hmm. it was about a woman who started her company, a bakery. Mm -hmm. But she was so good at multitasking mm -hmm. that sometimes she didn't stay on the things she needed to stay on the most Absolutely. was building revenue. Yeah. But I think women are generally better multitaskers. I mean, I always mm -hmm. say the joke to women when I speak, said, how many of you would ask your husband to watch children on a beach? <laughs> 
<laughs> and they look at me Love like that. that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, or, no woman would ever. <laughs> or, or guys are watching, are supposed to be watching the kids uh-huh. and TV. Right. And the kids can be outside around the block and oh, he yeah. still thinks they're in the living room. Right. So I think women are, are much better at multitasking. Mm-hmm. I think women generally have more empathy for the employee. I mean, Rishi was talking about that today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she worries about the employees. Yeah. How when can, I, how when can I, they make more money? How right, can they do this? Right. When I interviewed Rishi, I asked her what, what out of the job that she does, what does she enjoy the most? And she said it's going around and talking to all of her employees. Yeah. That's what she enjoys the most. She brings heat, I call mm-hmm. it. She brings energy into mm-hmm. the, the, the organization. When, right. when we went to Janesville a couple of weeks ago, um, I went there to talk to the managers on how to roll out the employee attitude survey. Mm-hmm. Um, we go get into the shops. She goes into the bathroom. She comes out with her black apron on, mm-hmm. her name badge, and she starts waiting on customers right. immediately. Yeah. So, so I think women have some really built-in advantages mm-hmm. to multitasking. I think they tend to pick what they're passionate about. Um, they tend to be better with the employee engagement in general, not all. Because, you know, when we just did our results, ironically, our lowest results was a department led by a woman and our highest was a, a guy. But in general, when you look at healthcare, particularly, mm-hmm. um, the women were much better. And I think that's where healthcare got messed up. For years, it was run by women. Mm-hmm. For years, healthcare was run by nuns. Absolutely. And then the guys took over. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the guys were comfortable with the people. So they kept thinking it's all about IT and metrics. Mm-hmm. And they lost the people. Sure. And you're only as strong as your people. So I, I think women have many, many. I'm talking to a lady who's got a little startup business later today because I was so impressed. She entered a contest and didn't win it, mm-hmm. but I liked her product the best. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, um, she's out there. She believes in it. Yeah. She believes in it. And Absolutely. I think that's the number one thing. And I think women are a little better at, at, at what I just said, passion, multitasking and capturing the hearts of their employees. Do you have some things that you think women naturally struggle with as well? I think the multitasking can get in the way of focus at times. Sure. And I think sometimes in a business, you've got to know when you just have to put your head down mm-hmm. and focus. So um, in the book, E-Myth Revisited, one of my favorite, she got into farting a bakery because she liked to bake. Mm-hmm. And whenever the pressure would hit, what do you think she would, she had, she went We're back in baking. Back in the baking. Mm-hmm. Yet her issue was creating revenue streams. Right. So I, I think sometimes, again, the, you, you, you know, men struggle with, they miss things. Mm-hmm. They're so focused on one point. Right. They miss things. They miss mm-hmm. the employees hate their guts, you right. know, or something like right. that. They just miss it. Yep. But women, I think where it works against them is the multitasking. Mm-hmm. Or they're so passionate because they see it a certain way mm-hmm. that they have a rough time seeing it. Wrapping's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Rishi is so obsessed with how packaging is, <laughs> you know, I mean, she wants that package to be perfect. She's the one that still wants you to make the bed, right? I still made it today. Good and, for you. Yeah, well, because we have a carrot and Did you stick. sleep on top of the covers? I've tried to when she's not I there, know. but I get in trouble. I got I in know. trouble yesterday for laying on a decorative. I found out we have decorative pillows on our bed. <laughs> so I was laying on a decorative <laughs> pillow. Not a, I thought pillows are pillows. Sure. So, um, you might have decorative towels in your house too, so be careful with that. Those are yeah. You well, don't I'm, use no, those either. Yeah, mm-hmm. I sort of put one. I know where the towel is. I towels are. I grab it. But so she believes a lot in product. 
mm-hmm. and passion. Now, the challenge is balancing the cost of the packaging. Mm-hmm. So that's where she's at, you know, mm-hmm. or um, so the quality. Mm-hmm. And so you have to measure how much quality is enough mm-hmm. before maybe the, the financial indications gets just too much. But if right. you ever, yeah, she's done, I mean, her, you know, her box has to have a little kitchen utensil on the bow and, oh, yeah. um, well, her shop show it. You walk in and it's all presentation. Yeah, it's all. You know, it's it's all, you know, exactly where things are placed, how they're, what's around them. Right. You know, all that is, I yeah. mean, you just see that when you walk into those stores. Yeah. So so I, I think, you know, one of the th- ironic things for me when I was relatively successful in healthcare, our chief nurse officer one day said, um, you know why you're a good president of a hospital? I said, why? She said, because you have strong female tendencies. Um <laughs> Because she felt that I could engage the employees Uh and 84% of the workers were female. Mm -hmm. And today, you know, if if you look at the workplace, I've always found if you build a, if you have women and men in your workplace, Mm -hmm. if you build a great culture for women, Mm -hmm. you build a great culture. It'll fall in place for men as well. It'll fall in place. It'll fall in place for men as well. If you build a great culture for men, it will not fall in place. So if you keep the ladies happy, mm-hmm. life is good. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. What great advice. Do you have anything? I know we're getting close to the end of end of our time here. Is there anything else you want to share for those aspiring women out there that want to be in business, the men out there that are wanting to be in business, or the ones that are already in business and are just looking for that extra motivation here at the very end of the year to get them to that, get them from good to great? Um, don't be a victim. I think what binds out the most is people talk, come up with and they, they start rationalizing. Mm-hmm. You know, we that's why I like objective data, but even that people rationalize. Sure. Well, I don't like the data. That was survey was done at a time when something bad was happening. Nah, people are pretty smart. They don't say I'm upset today, so I'm going to rip you for the last 12 months. Right. So I, I think you have to not fall into a victimization. We're falling into the trap that say I'm not getting a chance because I'm a woman. No, maybe you're not getting a chance because you're not showing the skills. Sure. Um, you know, um, I can't get a loan. You know, if you look at all my companies, we've never not had women make the same as men. Mm-hmm. So you don't just fall into that trap right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be experience, could be some other things. So mm-hmm. I think you have to be careful not to become a victim and not to start rationalizing your, your failure is because mm-hmm. of something. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to eventually hold up the mirror Mm-hmm. And say, okay, what can I do? How do I do it? Um, and that's, so that's would be my, my advice. The other thing I think Good. is really interesting is, is the fact that when you read research on entrepreneurs, don't assume that an entrepreneur is someone that throws their old life away, um, com- you know, quits their job on Monday, mm-hmm. starts their own company on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. In the book, The Originals, which just came out and studied how nonconformists change the world, mm-hmm. they said most people that are not entrepreneurs start as entrepreneurs. Mm. That they, for example, um, Steve Jobs' partner would not quit his job for Apple. He wouldn't quit because he was so afraid Apple would make it. Right. Finally, after five years, um, the one of the investors said, unless you quit and go full time, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really hard. So mm-hmm. when people look at startups, most people start a company up in some way while they're already doing their other job. Right. So I, I started Studer Group in a w- way three years mm-hmm. part time before I actually went full time. Right. And I think sometimes 
people think I can't start my company until I can go a hundred percent. Right. I'm not saying you, you, you have to start it somewhere, whether yeah. it's part time, whether it's Saturday, you know, in, in Asheville mm-hmm. with like, we have this great, um, Saturday market here mm-hmm. well, in Asheville. Um, they will look at those Saturday markets to find some of them that are the best and say, why don't we help you open up a restaurant? Or, you know, the, you know, if you look at Carmen's lunch bar who mm-hmm. won our business challenge, yep. well, she was a caterer. Yeah. And her catering business got good. So I think my other advice is don't think it's all or nothing. Sure. sure. Most people, as you, you and I talked for years. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, they take a while. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so they're not the entrepreneurs are not these risk takers, throw it against the wind mm-hmm. all, all in. Overnight success. No, they yeah. normally are sort of doing a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And then when they find that they're to the point where they probably can make the move full time or, mm-hmm. or have to decide for me, if I didn't go and start Studer Group, somebody else was doing, starting to do what I was doing. Right. So I would lose that sure. window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that, that'd be some of my advice. Don't be a victimization. Don't start rationalizing and start your business or start your company or start building your skill set while you're still in your other business. Even yeah. if that's doing presentations, even that storytelling, mm-hmm. even that's um, asking for project management work in your own company. Yeah. I remember when I came to you and, and I'd left the financial world to, to be powerful women of the Gulf Coast full time, which was a great plan for about six months until my family asked me to step into their business part time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm still doing that part time and it's and it's completely different than what I do with powerful women. But it gives me the ability to actually when I'm focused on powerful women of the Gulf Coast, I'm focused on that organization. And sometimes we just have to do those things. Sure. And I, I think mm-hmm. I think I'm better at helping small businesses when I do my round tables, mm-hmm. if anybody's interested, they can go to studeri.org, mm-hmm. get in, is because I'm still running small businesses. Right. So right. I get that. Exactly. I, I know we're doing employee engagement surveys for other small businesses now. Mm-hmm. Well, I just finished mine. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're walking the talk. You're, you're, you're practicing what you preach. Yeah. We call it, you know, and that's the other last thing I'll close with. As a leader of anything, you've got to eat your own cooking. Mm-hmm. You got, you can't be hypocritical. Mm-hmm. And I, I've recently left a big meeting where everybody got up and talked about how important employees are, how important employees are, yet not one of them measure how important. They measure cash, mm-hmm. they measure inventory, they measure sales, mm-hmm. but they don't measure employees. Wow. And I think there's a lot of, you know, some hypocrites out there and they Absolutely. don't even know it because they right. think they're really doing it because they're talked to employees. Right. Exactly. That's what they've been trained to say over the years and not really look at it. Well, this has been fantastic. I cannot thank you enough for the information you shared, but also for what you're doing for our Pensacola community. I know you mentioned that sometimes, you know, you have some some people that don't, you know, appreciate you so much. So, you know, I just want to say that, you know, your name gets brought up a ton of times with the women that we interview and they're always so appreciative of, of how supportive you've been, you know, in small ways and in big ways and, you know, and, and just out there to, to support our community. And that is so appreciated. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate that. And for people interested, they can go to studeri.org. We do an awful lot for small businesses, an awful lot for being in roundtable. I probably 50% of our roundtable people are females. Yeah, you that's know, amazing. And they run one, you know, they have one employee, eight employed, two employees. Sure. And they're there. And I think mm-hmm. that's also a real great co-mingling and opportunity for them to network and learn. 
That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely direct our our listeners to that site. And you have a great newsletter. I I read your newsletter all the time, and it's always you know sh- nice short articles, um, short videos, you know, just just tips. And I can always pull great information out of them. Well, that's it. You know, I'm a, I started out as a teacher, and I still am. And you know, I'm always looking for students, even when they don't want to be in my classroom. I try to force them. <laughs> and you probably give them homework too. We always give homework. Yeah, right? Looking at it this morning, you know, when you give an assignment to a supervisor, mm-hmm. I want them to tell me their takeaways because right. it helps me know, are they learning it? Are exactly. they tracking? So, yeah, yeah um, that's the other issue. you got to build accountability into your systems. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Going back to that sharpen the saw and and, uh, and hopefully people will take you up on your engagement um, presentation that you're going to be doing here in a couple yeah. of weeks. Um, that looks really exciting. Right. And thank you. Um, you and I have been doing, kicking around this mm-hmm, idea and I've mm-hmm. gone to your conferences and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's we, not one. We might, just to let you know, we might be asking you to come back this year. Well, that'd be nice. It's been a couple of years since there's we got nice. a tear on you. Well, I, the hula hoop put hula me hoop. out last time. Yeah, that's I mean, right. I'm just you not good at the hula hoop. <laughs> but I, I think, um, you know, there's no silver bullet here. Right. It's a whole bunch of us all working together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like you say, it tips mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. tips and, you know, downtown tipped yep. Re- the residential will make it hold the tip. Absolutely. But, but, and a business tips. And all of mm-hmm. a sudden James Collins talks about you do a lot of hard work and then all of a sudden you have a breakthrough. Right. And you never know what that paradigm shift is. You never really realize what was that one thing that happened because it's not necessarily that one thing. It's a series of repetitive, constant improvement. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Thank You've you. been listening to Quint Studer. He is a business philanthropist here in Pensacola and a great deal of information about leadership and just in general business information. So thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you in another couple of weeks in 2017. Thank you, everybody.